I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 23. And probably the first time I wore a coat and tie to the office was several years ago. Everybody was shocked. And then they found out I had to visit the district justice. And uh, I just figured now I should do it all the time just in case. <clears throat> Don't think about that the whole sermon long. I'll tell you afterwards. It's no big deal. Today we do continue our series uh, on the words of Christ from the cross. And before we look at this passage, I just invite you to pray with me. Let us pray. Father, we come humbly before you this evening, recognizing that on our own we have no ground to stand on. We thank you for the mercy you displayed in your Son, Jesus Christ. We recognize also, Lord, that our eyes are blind. And we cannot see the glory of Christ as we ought unless, by your grace and your spirit, you open our eyes to the beauty of the gospel. And we pray that you would do that this evening. That Christ would be lifted up and exalted. That we would worship you during this hour. We pray this through Jesus Christ, our risen Savior. Amen. I'll be reading from Luke 23. And I'll begin at verse 32 to give us a little bit of a context here for the words of Christ that he speaks in verse 43. Luke 23, verse 32. Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the Skull, there they crucified him, along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. Jesus said... Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, he saved others. Let him save himself if he is the Christ of God, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was a written notice above him which read, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence? We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, I tell you the truth. Today you will be with me in paradise. This is the inspired, inerrant, infallible word of God. May we receive it with meekness for the salvation of our souls. You know, when I was a child, about third or fourth grade, I remember a commercial that was on television often, a company that had kind of a jingle, a slogan that went with it. I imagine that many of you probably remember it as well. In fact, I invite you to finish the slogan for me if you remember it. It went like this. When E.F. Hutton speaks, yes, people listen. And I didn't really know much about E.F. Hutton. Apparently, maybe there was some company that was in the financial field Uh, But the idea was that they had authority. They had something to say. 
so that when they spoke, people should stop and take notice. People should listen. Well, how much more tonight, when we look at the words of Christ our Savior, ought we to stop and take notice and to listen? And in fact, these aren't just any words of Christ, but they're the words that he spoke as he was about to die, the final words that he was speaking. And as Pastor Rogers prayed, they were not just said for the thief, but they were said to instruct us. And so I encourage you to take note of that, that these, were, these words were planned before the world began by God the Father to teach us today for our good. Now, there are many things that I think we could learn from these words and from this encounter that Christ had with the criminal, the thief on the cross. But I want to just focus on two lessons this evening. The first one is, I believe that as we look at this encounter, we can see the majesty and the wonder of salvation and the amazing grace of God. This was an amazing encounter here between Jesus and the criminal. Here we have Jesus being numbered with the transgressors. The last companions of Christ on earth as he was dying were sinners. But they weren't just ordinary sinners. They were convicted felons. They were men who were condemned to die. They were men who probably mixed murder in with their robbery. They were men who, while they were alive, they did not respect the law of God and they did not respect the law of man. This criminal had nothing in him to commend himself to God. He deserved his condemnation. It was as if, in today's world, it was a man who stood condemned to die, facing the death penalty. Christ was hung between the refuse of society. Today, you might think of men like Jeffrey Dahmer, or Ted Bundy, or Saddam Hussein. And the amazing thing is that to one of them, Jesus said, Today, you will be with me. In paradise. You know, if you read the account in Matthew and Mark, those accounts indicate that both of the criminals hurled insults at Christ and blasphemed him as they hung to die. And here we come to Luke, and he indicates that just one of them continued in that practice. One of them continued to hurl insults at Christ, while the other one experienced an awakening. His eyes were opened to the truth. ...of who Jesus was. He saw Christ for who he was. See, he had heard Jesus address God as Father... ...in an unusually intimate way. He had heard Christ pray for the forgiveness of his enemies. He had seen Christ interact with the people at the cross. He had seen the sign above his head... ...that said, this is the King of the Jews. And he could sense... The obvious contrast between the holiness of Christ and his own sinfulness, his own depraved condition. And he recognized that even as he saw the glory of Christ, he saw himself. And he didn't like what he saw. And so like Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 6, he uttered this marvelous confession. In verses 40 and 41, he rebukes the other criminal, and he says, don't you fear God, since you are under the same sentence. We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man 
has done nothing wrong. This criminal recognized that he was a sinner. That he was justly condemned for his own evil deeds. He came to fear God. He recognized that he had to answer to God and he knew that he could not. He knew that God was just in condemning him for his sins. And he knew that he had no merit of his own on which he could come to Christ for help. He had come to see Jesus for who he was. Jesus had done no wrong. He was the sinless, spotless Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He'd come to understand that Jesus was the Messiah, that he was the king of the coming kingdom. And so he cried out with a simple request. It was a plea for help, but it was a simple one. Jesus, remember me. You know, he didn't say, remember my works, for he had none. He didn't say, remember that I aligned myself with you just before I died. All he said was, remember me. A plea, a cry for mercy. And that is all that we can do. That is all that we can ask for. And I can't help but think what happened then in that moment. As he made his request, Jesus, remember me. Did Christ pause? Did he turn his head on the cross and make eye contact with this other criminal? Was there a smile on his pained face and love in his eyes as he said, Today, you will be with me in paradise. What an amazing response. The answer that Jesus gives reveals the transformation, the conversion that had taken place. For while this criminal still hung on the cross, in God's eyes, he was no longer a condemned criminal. He was now a forgiven child of God in whom there was no condemnation because he was now in Christ. This is an amazing picture of the majesty of salvation. We see through this that indeed salvation is all of grace, completely of grace. The thief could not make amends for his sin. Many people think that before they can come to Christ... They must first get their act together or clean up their, themselves and, and turn away from some of their sins. The thief on the cross had no opportunity to do this. Many people think that after they come to Christ, they must continue to earn their salvation or earn his love by their good works. The thief had no opportunity to do this. He could not walk in the path of righteousness. He could not perform acts of service or good works. His feet and his hands were nailed to the cross and he was dying. And he only had moments to live. There was nothing good in him before this and there would be no good works after this. The encounter testifies to us loud and clearly and with finality that it is not by works of righteousness which we have done. But he saved us because of his mercy. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, so that no one can boast. The thief's redemption makes it clear that salvation does not come by works. It is all of grace. And to presume upon our own works is to be lost. 
Well, not only does it show us the majesty of salvation and the fact that it is all of God's grace, but it also shows us that this grace and the salvation is greater than any and all sin. We must not despair. Are you or somebody that you know and love caught in some unspeakable sin where if it were to be found out, you would be thought of as a wretch or something worse? Do you imagine yourself or someone you know and love to be beyond grace? If so, you are wrong. Look at the cross. See the repentant thief. Jerry Bridges has said of the gospel that your best days are never so good that you're beyond the need of God's grace. Your best days are never so good that you're beyond the need of God's grace and your worst days are never so bad that you're beyond the reach of God's grace. Your worst days are never so bad that you're beyond the reach of God's grace. His salvation is greater than any and all sin. None are excluded from the infinite mercy of Christ. No matter how great your iniquity, if you will come to Christ and believe on him, he will save you. And you can be saved in a moment. This is what happened to the thief. In a moment, he went from being a condemned criminal, suffering the weight of his sin, to being a forgiven child of God. In a moment, a lifetime of sins can be wiped away. You may have lived a whole life of sin, 50, 60, 70 years. In a moment, Christ can say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Those words speak to us of the great majesty of salvation. But they also teach us another lesson that I want us to think about this evening. They teach us a lesson about the glory of heaven. If we break down what Christ said here, we've already looked at the word you. Who was Christ talking to? Today you will be with me in paradise. He was talking to a condemned criminal who had no good in him. And through that we see the majesty of salvation. We want to look at a couple other words tonight as well. Because we want to see where was this thief going to be? When was this going to take place? And what was the main thing? What was the glory of it all? So where was he going to be? Christ says to him, you will be with me in paradise. He was going to be in paradise. In Judaism, paradise referred to the abode of the righteous. And it came to represent the future bliss of God's people. It was understood as describing the intermediate resting place of the souls of believers as they awaited the glorious resurrection of their physical bodies at the second coming of Christ. And this actual word is used only two other times in the New Testament. Once by Paul in 2 Corinthians 12 and once in Revelation, 12, Revelation 2. And both times this word paradise is used as a symbol of heaven and its bliss to indicate the heavenly city or the heavenly abode of God where God has prepared things for those who love him. Things that are utterly indescribable. So he is going to be in heaven, with God. This is the glory of what has been said to the criminal. 
But when is that going to take place? How soon will that happen? Christ's words are, today. Today you will be with me in paradise. Jesus' reply suggests that this criminal will be in a conscious state in heavenly glory. That death is not the end. It is a mere transition. It is really the beginning. For Christ says it will happen today. It will be immediate. There will be no delay. This is almost too good. This is more than he asked for. He simply said to Christ, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And yet Christ says, no, today you will be with me in paradise. Today the spirit of Jesus would, and the renewed spirit of the thief would be in union in paradise. Experiencing fellowship and communion. The promise would be without delay. Well, that, that is great news. That the criminal is going to be forgiven. That he's going to be in paradise. That it's going to happen today. But it's not the main thing. It's not the glory of heaven. The glory of heaven comes down to two little words. For Christ says to him, Today you will be with me. With me. The thief's great reward, our great reward, is heaven to the fullest. And the main glory of heaven is that we get to be with Jesus Christ himself. We will see him as he is. We will be in paradise face to face with Jesus Christ. The glory of heaven is to be with Christ. It's not to be delivered from all our sorrow and all our suffering and to be without sickness, as great as that will be. The glory of heaven is not to be reunited with those who we have loved in the Lord who have gone before us. As much as we look forward to that and as much hope as that gives us, that is not the glory of heaven. The glory of heaven is not to live in paradise, to receive the mansion that has been prepared for us, to live in a beautiful place as much as that may be enjoyed. No, the glory of heaven is Jesus Christ himself, to be with him. Heaven without Christ would not be heaven. It would be hell. The psalmist says, whom have I in heaven but you? And Jesus Christ himself said in John 14, as he's telling his disciples that he's going to prepare a place for them, he tells them that he's going to come again. And what does he say? He doesn't say, I'm going to come again to take you to your mansion. I'm going to come again to take you to paradise. No, he says, I will come again and take you with me so that you may be where I am. This is the hope of eternity, to be with Jesus Christ. We need to get a glimpse of who Christ is, to meditate on who this is, who is the glory of heaven. I recently came across a sermon by Dr. Lockridge called, That's My King. He was a Baptist minister in California for 40 years. He's now gone to be with the Lord. But I would like to share a portion of it with you. I've adapted it briefly to try to give you a picture of who Christ is. Meditate on the glory of heaven. He says, Jesus was born king. 
The Bible says he's the king of the Jews. He's the king of Israel. He's the king of righteousness. He's the king of the ages. He's the king of heaven. He's the king of glory. He's the king of kings. And the Lord of lords. Will you be with him? Jesus is a sovereign king. No means of measure can define his limitless love. No far-seeing telescope can bring into visibility the coastline of his shoreless supply. He's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's absolutely powerful. He's impartially merciful. Will you be with him? He's the greatest phenomenon that ever crossed the horizon of this world. He's God's son. He's a sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He stands in the solitude of himself. He's august. He's unique. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He's supreme. He is preeminent. He's the miracle of the ages. He's the superlative of every good thing that you choose to call him. He's the only one able to supply all of our needs simultaneously. And he's the only one qualified to be an all-sufficient savior. Will you be with him? He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He strengthens and he sustains. He guards and he guides. He heals the sick. He cleanses lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers captives. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the aged. He rewards the diligent. He beautifies the meek. He cleanses the criminal. He transforms the thief. And he remembers the robber. Will you be with him? Jesus is the king. He is the key to knowledge. He's the wellspring of wisdom. He's the doorway of deliverance. He's the pathway of peace. He's the roadway of righteousness. He's the highway of holiness. He's the gateway of glory. He's the master of the mighty and the captain of the conquerors. He's the head of the heroes and the leader of the legislatures. He's the overseer of the overcomers and the governor of the governors. He's the prince of princes. He's the king of kings and the lord of lords. Will you be with him? His office is manifold. He's the prophet, the priest, and the king. His promise is sure. His light is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. His yoke is easy. And his burden is light. I wish I could describe him to you. But he is indescribable. He's incomprehensible. He's invincible. He's irresistible. The heavens of heavens cannot contain him, let alone a man explain him. You cannot get him out of your mind. You cannot get him off of your hand. You can't outlive him, and you can't live without him. He always has been, and he always will be. He has no predecessor, and he'll have no successor. There was nobody before him, and there'll be nobody after him. You can't impeach him, and he's not going to resign. Jesus is the king. The Pharisees 
couldn't stand him, but they found out they couldn't stop him. Pilate couldn't find any fault in him. Herod couldn't kill him. Death couldn't handle him. And the grave could not hold him. He is the king. Will you be with him? Beloved, what sorrow are you suffering today? What burden are you wearing? What is weighing down your soul? Are you cast down? Are you discouraged? Are you in turmoil? Cast it off. Lay it at the feet of Jesus. Turn your eyes upon your glorious Savior and King. Hope in God. Praise Him again. He is your salvation and your God. And you will be with Him. Ah, but wait. This promise is not just a future hope. No. Right now, Christ is with you. Do you see that? Do you see that the criminals represent us as well? Do you see that you were the condemned criminal hanging on the cross who deserved to die? In fact, Christ should not even have been there on the cross. That was our cross. That is where we deserved to be. Do you see that we should still be there today without hope? And the only reason that we are not is because Christ took our place and he intervened in our behalf and he took our sin upon himself to rescue us and bring us back to God so that now we who are wretched, condemned sinners can be with Christ not only for eternity, but today, right here, right now, in this place, Christ Himself, the King of Kings, is with us. He is with you wherever you go. He promised before He left that He would be with us to the very end of the age. In Hebrews, He promised that He would never leave us or forsake us. Beloved, the lover of your soul, Jesus Christ Himself, is with you now, today. And you, if you have come to Christ, will be with him in paradise. So what do we do in response to these words of Christ? I think there are three things that I would encourage and exhort you to do as you go home this evening. First of all, come to Christ today. If you have not yet done that. Which, which robber represents you? There are only two choices. Hopefully, by God's mercy, you have recognized your sinfulness as the one criminal did. Recognized who Christ was and cried out to him, Jesus, remember me. But there was another robber who did not cry out to Christ, remember me. Instead, he cried out, save us and yourself if you are the Christ. How tragic that two men in the same closeness to Christ, they saw the same things, heard the same words. One repented, one rejected. See, they both had sin in them, as we all do. But only one of them 
died with sin on him. The one criminal, by God's grace, had his sin lifted off of him and put on Christ. If that has not happened to you yet, I urge you, come to Christ today. That you may be able to say in the words of the great hymn, the dying thief rejoiced to see that fountain in his day. And there have I, though vile as he, washed all my sins away. Come to Christ. Secondly, many of you have already done that by God's grace and his mercy alone. For those of you, I encourage you to proclaim this great song of salvation every day, everywhere you go, to everyone you meet. And how fitting it is that this is Missions Conference Week and some of you are here that we support on the mission field. We desire to encourage them in their efforts to proclaim this great song of salvation, to persevere in your labors knowing that many will be able to be with Christ in paradise as you continue to proclaim the gospel. But this is something that we all can do. It's something that God has called all of us to do. As we did the M&M projects with our children, one of the questions that we asked them was to name a missionary that they know. And when we did that, my son said, me, me. Because I told Murdy, his cousin, about Jesus. I said, yes, that's right. All of us can be missionaries. And all of us ought to be. To proclaim this great song of salvation. To cross the picket fences in our own backyards, in our own neighborhoods. Where we work, where we go to school. The people we are with. Because there are still people hanging on the cross rejecting Christ. And to them, Christ cannot say, today you will be with me in paradise. Instead, they are headed for a Christless eternity. How can we not proclaim this great song of salvation to them? Do we, do we not want them to know our Savior? To share in the joy of knowing Christ and the hope of being with him for eternity? We must proclaim this great song of salvation. Luke's account here is not about a good thief. His account here is about a wretched, vile thief and a good savior. You know that. Right now, the movie Amazing Grace is out in the theaters. The story of William Wilberforce and his push to outlaw slavery. And many of you know that John Newton was very instrumental in his life. John Newton, the author of the hymn Amazing Grace. Many of you know that near the end of his life, he said these simple words, I am a great sinner and Jesus is a great savior. Proclaim that throughout the world wherever you go. The glory of salvation the majesty and wonder of it, and the glory of heaven is Christ, our Savior. You know, that truth was the driving force for William Wilberforce as he tried to outlaw slavery. May that truth, that glorious truth, be the driving force in all that you do. And your entire life, may that be the driving force and motivation. We are great sinners, but Christ 
is a great Savior. And finally, may you rejoice in Jesus your King, both now and forever. We have that great hope that one day we will be with Him in eternity, face to face, forever. Now we see dimly. Then all distractions, all barriers will be removed. And we will see him as he really is. If that does not stir your soul, the thought of being with your Savior, perhaps you need to set your eyes upon him a little bit more today and now. Perhaps you need to seek him diligently, to spend time with him, to worship him, to praise him, to set your mind on him and fix your eyes on Christ, the author and perfecter of your faith. When Christ took Peter and John on the mount and he was transfigured before them, you know, they wanted to build something for Moses and Elijah, but in the end, Moses and Elijah left and all that was remained was Christ. And it says in the gospel that they looked and they saw no one but Jesus. They saw no one but Jesus. Perhaps that is what we need to do. To remove the distractions from our lives lives as best as we can. So that we see Christ. So that we long for him. And look forward to the glory of heaven and being with him. In youth group lately we've been singing uh, the song Amazing Grace. We've been singing... Maybe the original version of it, you might dispute that. You might think it's a newer version of it. And I guess it's a a mixture of both. The music is about the same. There's a bridge that has been added. But it includes a final verse that actually was penned by John Newton when he originally wrote the hymn that is not in our hymn books today. And it ends the song, and it goes like this. The earth shall soon dissolve like snow. The sun forbear to shine, but God who called me here below will be forever mine. You are forever mine. Beloved, rejoice in that. Christ can say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Christ can be yours and you can be his. May it be so today and forever. Let us pray.